Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Well, we've all been right there. Unfortunately, sometimes it's things more serious than a donut in result of that. And so for, for today, we're going to be talking about specifically the gift of repentance, but actually we're going to spend the next four Sundays talking about different aspects of this gift of repentance. I think that what I would like to open with in my heart is that we should never, ever allow ourselves or anyone else to minimize the importance of repentance because there's something to be said about dying out to ourself and, and uh, allowing the spirit of the Lord to resurrect that amen as a new man and dying out to our past. And so um, we are human. We are all tempted with some level of sin. And I understand that the temptations for an 18-year-old may be a little different than the temptations for an 80-year-old. But nevertheless, we are still flesh and blood and we are all subject to temptation. And sometimes when we use the word temptation, our minds can wander down just certain alleys or, or uh, dead-end streets that we, we think may be uh, tempting, but we can be tempted in a lot of ways, a lot of ways. And in those times, because we're human, you're, you're subject to error, and we have no idea. That there have been things that all of us have responded to that we never thought that would be our response. Amen. We thought we were stronger than that. We thought we were, we had it a little more together than that. And then that's to remind us that we live in a very frail house of clay that is flesh and we are forever going to need the hand of the Lord. And so we have to grasp the, the value of repentance. So I, I trust that by the time we get through the next few weeks that we will have a, a greater appreciation for the all-important subject of repentance. I want to turn our attention, if I may, to the to one of the oldest stories in the Bible, and we'll go all the way back to the book of beginnings, and I want us to consider the first man of creation and the first woman of creation, and uh, as Adam and Eve were created and brought together as one, they were busy setting up their first home, um, not really on, in the context of of what we may think of homemaking today, but certainly they were in the in the um, in the throes of, of merging their lives together and starting a journey together, and so they each had responsibilities that were given to them. the The job of Adam was not especially difficult in many respects because, after all, it was paradise, but it did require attention to detail because he was the keeper of the garden, the tender of the garden. And also as the man of the house, he, also, he understood that it was his responsibility to protect his wife and to protect his property. 
It was, and those things have not changed for you and I today. That's a lot of responsibility. For Eve, she is what we would call today a stay-at-home wife. And that arrangement sounds a little outdated by our standards today, but it worked well for them. And it was their practice to spend time with God every day, every day, Adam and Eve and God. However, one day, Adam let his guard down. Adam got distracted, and that's all it took. Now, I believe I am speaking today to people who have probably experienced similar moments in your life with just one moment of letting your guard down, one season of distraction, and before you know it, something's in your life, in your home, in your marriage, in your family that just shouldn't be there. Amen. Because the devil is waiting for just that one opportunity, just waiting for our attention to be uh, focused on something else. And so while he was distracted, danger entered his home. It's a very strange passage of scripture, really an, an unfolding of this story because it would seem to me that he was present when Eve succumbed to temptation. And there is no doubt in my mind that all of us have asked ourselves the age-old question, Adam, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you speak up? And so we don't have the answer for that, but even more perplexing than that is why that he himself partook of the same temptation. Instinctively, whenever their eyes were opened, the Bible says that they made a feeble attempt to hide from God. They sewed fig leaves together when they became aware of their, of their nakedness. And most of you know the story really well. They tried to cover themselves with their own strength, their own ability, their own talent. But what they offered God by way of this was woefully inadequate. And so the Lord had to have an innocent animal slain. And God used the hide or the covering of that animal to cover them. However, they would never be the same again. Time would never be the same again. Humanity would never be the same again. You see, they were experiencing the judgment for their disobedience to the scripture. Now that may sound dismal. It may, uh, it may sound as though this is harsh and cruel that God would set a flaming sword in the, in the garden and prevent man from ever coming again. But I really think that we should not get caught up in the judgment and also understand that what they encountered that day was the mercy of God. The mercy of God. I don't know what Eve's expectation of Adam's response to all this would be. I think they were equally guilty. But no doubt when she thought blame was just going to come her way, we don't find that at all. But we find them, even though their life was upended and life for them was forever changed, but they maintained their relationship together and they walked forward with God. Now, it's not the nature of God to destroy. In fact, it's really the nature of God to redeem. He is a very redemptive God, a very redemptive God. However, I do think it's only fair for us to understand that the patience of God can be exhausted. We read early on in the holy written word where the Lord repented that he made man and that's why the earth was destroyed. Now, I, I don't want to get lost in this next little bit, but I do think that it's too important to just gloss over. I believe that there is a line 
that man can cross that leads to ultimate separation from God. I've often said, I don't ever want to figure out where that line is. While I believe there is a line that exists, I don't ever want to figure out where that line is. I don't want to get even close enough to be able to see it in the distance. Amen. I think it it brings to bear a very serious consideration. I think there are lines where not only individuals, but I believe even groups of people can be separated from God. Now, I, I am in the holy word today because when you read Romans and when you read Thessalonians, you find that, they, that it is possible for the Lord to give people over, amen, and allow them to believe a lie and be damned. That's what the scripture says. We're talking about repentance, which is one of the very first steps towards salvation. And if we already have the Holy Ghost, repentance is certainly what's necessary to restore us to right relationship with God. And so here's a point that I would like to make without belaboring the issue that if God has given someone over to a reprobate mind to believe a lie and be damned, the reason they are damned is because they believe a lie. And, they, and because they believe that lie, they will not repent. <laughs> they will not repent because they don't see any need to repent. And in the absence of repentance, we are in trouble with God. And so I, I know people who have put a little bit too much, and this is my opinion, this next few seconds is my opinion, have put a little bit too much emphasis on the sin of blasphemy. Well, as long as we don't blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, then we're all gonna be all right. But can I tell you today that there's more than one way to be lost? Amen, I understand, I understand the, the judgment of blasphemy, but if I have just given myself over and my conscience becomes, as what one writer said, seared with a hot iron, I won't see the error of my way, and if I don't see the error of my way, I won't see the value of repentance, and if I don't see the value of repentance, then I'm gonna be in very much trouble with God. Amen. And so it is, it, there is a, a place of no return. In, in the airline industry or in, in flight, there is a point on a runway where it is the point of no return. No matter what's going on, we've got to fulfill this. We've got to carry on, a point of no return. On the Niagara River uh, in New York, there is a certain place in the rushing rapids that the locals call the line of no return. And so it is said by them that if you are in the water at this point, if you are in the Niagara River at this point, that the current is so strong that you are only 13 seconds before plunging over Niagara Falls and generally to your demise. And so there's this line of no return. And so just like there is a line of no return in the Niagara River, I believe there is a line of no return in our walk with God. We can't be cavalier in our walk with God. We can't just think God is so desperate that he's just, gonna, he's just gonna put up with anything, tolerate anything. God is very merciful. God is a God of mercy. And we certainly understand that, hope we can underline that enough in this series, but we have to understand the value of repentance that when or if I have sinned or erred, I'm very thankful that I have the gift to be able to, the gift of God, that I can turn myself back to him. Now that doesn't release me from the responsibility of the law of the harvest. 
Amen. I can rob a bank and, and, and then ask the Lord to forgive me. And if I, am, if I am sincere in my prayer of repentance, then the Lord can forgive me, but the state of Florida may not. And I can't feel like God let me down, but it's the law of the harvest. There, there may be still a price to pay, but nevertheless, I'm thankful for the gift of repentance. Amen. One example in scripture uh, of a man who just seems to be outside of the reach of God is a man by the name of Esau. He so disrespected his birthright that he sold it for just a bowl of beans, if we're using our language today. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 15, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. And so Esau is given this tagline of being a profane person. Now the key descriptive term concerning Esau here is that, is that he was a profane man. Now the scripture defends this judgmental reference by citing the selling of his birthright. That doesn't mean a whole lot to us in this 21st century. We get a little bit lost as the significance of that birthright. But, but it was a very, very important thing, especially in biblical times. So why would, why would Jacob even attempt, really is one question that we could ask ourselves, why would he even attempt to take this priceless gift from his brother Esau unless he perhaps had heard him speak of it in a way that was demeaning or maybe Jacob could see that he didn't really value the privileged position that he had or the possession that was rightfully his. Was it, was it, Esau's, uh, was it Esau's demeanor toward his birthright or his privileged position? We, we don't know that. I mean, we don't really know that. Esau certainly failed to act on God's grace. The account that is given to us of the story of Esau in the book of Genesis chapter 25 and then a few more scriptures about that in the book of Genesis 27, the scripture says here in our reading today, the writer of Hebrews says that he was a profane man or a profane person. Esau despised his birthright. He sold it. He missed the blessing. And because of that, it was given to Jacob. Now again, according to Genesis 25, the birthright was supposed to go to Jacob anyway. I don't want to confuse the lines here, but the Genesis account says of the prophecy of these two brothers that the elder would serve the younger. And so it was supposed to go to him anyway, and we're not sure how that would have all transpired, but Jacob took this within himself. Amen. And so because of that, I don't think it was right, even though Jacob, according to prophecy, should have had it anyway. I think Jacob was wrong to use deceptive means or manners to get it. Afterward, when Esau tried to get Isaac to change his mind, it was obviously too late. Even though he everything he did to try to persuade his brother to give him the birthright back, nothing he did could change the mind of Jacob. We may assume when we read that phrase that Esau was a profane person or a profane man, we may assume that that would mean that Esau was a man that was offensive or that Esau was a man who was disrespectful. 
Esau was the grouchy guy that lived in the neighborhood. Anybody have grouchy guys that live in your neighborhood? He was that guy on the street that everybody tried to avoid. We may think that that was descriptive of Esau, but it seems in Scripture that Esau was not that kind of person. It seems that he was a good-natured man. From Scripture, we know that he was an avid hunter. He was certainly a man that loved his father. And so I... I'm going to just join the, the mindset of others and, and say that Esau may have been a man that would have been a good neighbor. He may have been a man that would be, have been a pleasant friend. However, there's one glaring caveat to all of this. When it says that Esau was a profane man, that means that Esau had no interest in the things of God. He was a good man, but he just didn't treasure the things that had been that God had privileged him to be in a position to receive. And you know what? I think today that we could probably, and I'm not asking anybody to don the black robe of judgment, but we probably all met people that were wonderful people, but they just made no provision in their life for God, no interest in the things of God. They saw no value to serving him. Perhaps there are several things that you and I can learn from Esau. But I believe the main thing that we can take away from this man's life is a warning. And a warning is that we should never settle for the lesser things. Never settle for the lesser things. If God has something that he wants to bestow upon us, then I want to treasure that. I want to love that. Amen, I really do. Now, there is nothing in scripture that really warns us as to this precise intersection where we run out of God's mercy. However, I believe that that place exists. I, I, I'm not trying to hold anybody over hell today or to try to scare anybody. I don't believe in using tactics. If the word of God and his spirit is not enough, then I don't think I can conjure up a story that would certainly match that. But I think it is imperative that we understand in this world that has so abused grace, Amen, I'm talking about a religious world that has turned grace to disgrace where you just do whatever you wanna do. It just really doesn't matter. Uh, you just confess the Lord as your personal savior and you just keep marching on. You do whatever you wanna do. Folks, it doesn't work that way. There's not one relationship that we have on this earth that we can't do something to violate that relationship whether that's a relationship with our companions, a relationship with our children, a relationship on our job. Many, many, many other relationships can be completely damaged, if not irreparably damaged by our conduct. And so I say, Lord, help us to realize the value of treasuring what God has given me and don't let me take advantage of that. The book of Psalms, David writes about the, uh, we see a little glimpse of the, the nature of the Lord when we err. This is what the Bible says in Psalms 30 and five. His anger endureth but for a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And so from this passage of scripture, I believe that we see a very, pardon me, but I believe we see a very parental response from the Lord. Amen, anger for a moment, weeping through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen, anger and then mercy. Is there any parents that can relate to that? If I could get my hands on them. 
<laughs> if I could just reach them right now. And then mercy. Mercy follows. Because you realize that they're just, and they may need to be corrected, but mercy follows that because of our love relationship with them. We love them. And so I see a very parental aspect of the Lord here. Even on more than one occasion, the anger of God, I think, deterred the human, is deterred by human response. I believe that God is looking at our heart, weighing our actions and reactions. The Bible says in Psalms 34, 18, that the Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and he saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. I don't think arrogance has any place in the kingdom of God and we certainly should never be arrogant about our failure. If I wanna get the attention of God, and I need to understand, we all need to understand that the word of the Lord is a discerner of the thought and the intent of our heart. And so God knows if tears are real or if they're false. But I need to come before the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Those are the avenues that, of which not only can I reach to God, but that guarantees that God is going to reach back to me. Amen. I'm thankful to know that God has given us a doorway. God sent a prophet to a wicked city. His name was Jonah. He, he was sent there with a message of doom and no hope. But when he got there, the pagan king of that city called for a citywide fast. Amen. And there was this contriteness. There was this brokenness and this humility before this strange God. And what happened? God changed his mind. Yes, he did. God changed his mind and he withheld his judgment. And so God's justice always requires judgment for disobedience. Amen. There is a measure of God's mercy in all that he does in our lives. But his, his response to the king of Nineveh, I think, demonstrates that God is always looking for a justifiable reason to extend mercy. God is always looking to redeem my Lord, I love to be around redemptive people. I, I am being very, very honest. I love to be around redemptive people. I was, uh, I was, I was privileged to be um, in an impromptu meeting a few weeks ago. Um, I was sitting with a pastor friend of mine and uh, who is probably one of the most redemptive men that I know. He had received a text message from uh, a man that's out of their church originally, but is, is pastoring a church himself. And he wanted to know if he could meet. And so he told him, he said, well, I'm not alone. I'm, I'm, uh, we're eating lunch. And, he's, and he said, that's all right. I don't, it, it, that's, that's okay. And so he came and sat down and he didn't mind. In other words, if I heard whatever he was having problems with. And so uh, it wasn't my conversation to get into but I appreciated the fact that God let me be a, let that be a conversation that I could listen to. And so as this pastor poured out his heart about a situation he's trying to deal with in their, in their local church, and it was a serious situation, I was quite curious of what his pastor's response was gonna be. And I was completely I'm not surprised at the end of the day. I'm not surprised because I just know the redemptive nature. But I was so stunned in some respects as to how much redemption 
he was reaching for him with. And he said, I know this is how you would like to do, but here's what you need to consider. Here's what you need to consider. And so when the conversation was through, my friend looked at me and he said, do you have anything you would like to say about this? I said, yes, sir, I do. And I looked at the young man from his church and I said, I just want you to know that if you had asked that man that same question 40 years ago, that is not the answer you would have gotten. To which the elder spoke up and said, you're right about that. Because time and circumstance, (laughs) we may want to call it experience, tempers our heart. Amen. I think the longer we live for God, the more like him we become. And so early on in our years, we may have a pretty big hammer called judgment and a little bitty tool called redemption. But as time goes on, if we're doing it right, amen, those tools are gonna probably switch places in the toolbox. Amen, we're not talking about overlooking sin, Brother Gibson. We're not talking about sweeping something under the rug. And when the Bible talks about charity covering a multitude of sins, that's not talking about hiding sin and that's not talking about hiding wrong, but just charity, the mercy of God. I'm gonna tell you what happens is when we consider how merciful God has been in our heart and then we times that by one year or five years or 10 years or we times that by one decade or two decades or four decades, we realize God has been so merciful to me and so here's how we ought to handle this. We ought to snap on those big gloves of redemption and mercy and this is how we ought to reach. I'm thankful for the gift of repentance. Of course in my personal story this is all predicated upon the one scripture that I read a moment ago. This is all going to be predicated upon the attitude of the person that you're going to have to deal with. If they've got a broken and a contrite spirit then somehow get as much mercy as you can, as much redemption as you can. Amen. It may require surgery. There may be a little blood on the table when we're done but you see we've got to reach with mercy. Aren't you thankful? Amen. That we have the privilege to take our needs, our petitions, and even our failures to the foot of the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they experienced shame. Their eyes were open and they realized for the very first time that they were naked. Secondly, they heard the voice of God coming. Here is that familiar voice coming at that familiar time calling them and, and, and fear, the fear of failure went rushing through them like blood. Shame, amen, those dominant emotions of shame and fear, amen, that followed the acts of disobedience, amen. However, shame and fear in measured doses can be healthy emotions, amen. If shame and fear, we shouldn't let the devil have that to beat us up with it, but shame and fear can turn us toward God. It can bring some brokenness to our heart, Amen. If if disobedience, you see, is not confronted, the emotions of fame, of shame and fear can become debilitating, and 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 they can, if not even destructive. You got to get that under control. But to a point, you want your children to be afraid of you. Can I speak to parents here? I'm not afraid that you're going to hurt them, irreparably hurt them. I'm not saying that, but you want them to respect you to the point that they know you're serious. 
I've seen children, when parents corrected them, I've seen children look up and say, Psst, they don't mean that. Amen, they know, children know. And so I, I, my mother was just a little tiny thing, but I was scared to death of her. Amen. As a child, you know what I'm saying, as a child. My dad, he was really kind of quiet and a little, he did have a line of no return as well. I found it three times in my lifetime. Amen. It was a small line, but it was a big chasm on the other side of that line. <laughs> a pretty big chasm on the other side of that line. But nevertheless, you know, there has to be some kind of fear. God doesn't want us to be afraid in the sense of fear and afraid of him that we would not come to him or, or walk with him or talk with him or sup with him. But I'm thankful for the hand of God that we know that God is, even though his nature is love, amen, the Bible says that he is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but he's long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to turn and make wrong, make right, rather, our wrongs. And so God, God's default, I think, in dealing with, with fallen humanity, the default setting is to be patient. We find that in scripture, to draw us back to himself, to reconcile us. We find that in scripture. We find in, in scripture as well for God to be very quick to forgive. Amen. God's resources are unlimited. So he, here is a God that is reaching with all that he can. And so what we need to do is turn to him and reach back with everything that we can. His arms are longer than ours, amen, but I'm thankful for the songwriter that said his hand reached further down than I could reach up. I'm glad for the power of the blood of the cross. Immediately after confronting Adam and Eve, he made a way for them to survive judgment, amen. He did leave them a space uh, and, and, and they were certainly sustained after that. Simon Peter, you know, once waxed a little eloquent when we were when we're talking about repentance and and so when Simon Peter was talking to Jesus about repentance, he thought he was being real generous and, and uh, can't you just see his self-righteous chest poked out a little bit and said, should we forgive seven times a day? And Jesus said, no, we should forgive 70 times seven. Amen. Now, I don't think that Jesus was looking for a mathematical number there. I think that it was a principle Amen, that we should forgive. And so if Jesus declares that, is, that it is within us to have that ability, and he says that we can do that, then how much more can he do that? Amen, how much more beyond that? And so sin is the reality of our broken world. We are living in a sinful world. It's everywhere around us. I am not certainly preaching or teaching today that it is, that it is okay to sin a little every day as some would ascribe to and we can just ask for God's forgiveness and his grace. But I will tell you this, that when we are walking in such a dirty and filthy world, we should not be surprised. If you're walking through a burned building you shouldn't be surprised when you come out and you find a little soot on your pants. 
Amen. You shouldn't be surprised when you walk out and there's a little soot on your sleeve because you've been walking among some things. I, I think there's a difference in, in being in the world and being of the world. And there are some things, there are thoughts that can come to our mind just because of what we've been so overexposed to. There are things that can, can come to into our heart just because of what we've been exposed to by sight, just by, by what we've heard, just because of, of what we've been around, maybe on your job, maybe it's unavoidable. You're just right there when something happened and you can't unsee that, you can't unhear that and so we need the spirit of God to help us. Amen, we need, I'm not alone in that, am I? We need the spirit of God to help us, to purge us and to wash our minds and our heart. Paul addressed the universal battle that, that we face, amen, by being in this fallen world and Paul said this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. All have sinned. I mean, can you say with me, that even means, that means me. That means me. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. John, first John chapter one, John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And so sometimes, you know, when you're talking about repentance, when you're talking about failure, when you're talking about sin, there's a tendency for a spirit of piousness to want to rise up in us and think we're above that. Or if I, if I nod my head and say amen, somebody's going to think that I'm just openly participating in sin. I'm running a risk talking about it today that you think I'm just openly participating in sin. But John said we have... We, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. <laughs> the opportunity to transgress against God's law is everywhere, everywhere. It's dangerous to live under the false assumption that we are untouchable by sin, that we have just prayed to the point that we're never gonna have to pray again or we have, we have done this to the point that we've kind of crossed over into some celestial uh, zip code. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And the devil doesn't care when he gets you. He'll be happy to have you at 80, at just like 18. He will have, and anywhere in between, he would be just as happy to have us. And so that's why that it, there needs to be a spirit of contrition in our heart, in our mind, in our spirit. Uh, we, we used to sing, or from time to time sing the song, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. That doesn't need to be just a few words put to a, to a, a musical note but I really need you, Lord. I need you today. Help me to rise and walk and live above sin. Help me to do that. It's dangerous to live under that false impression that, that we're just somewhere immune to that because we're not immune to that. Amen. It's, it's, so, it's, so, it's so easy to think that, you know, because I've done this or because I've done that. It's also equally dangerous to have a cavalier about attitude about living righteously because both mindsets are a trap that is set by the enemy. Both mindsets. So we can't be relaxed and play this game that everything is well, but we've got to understand that I need the hand of the Lord and I need the power of repentance in my life. Amen. I'm thankful for the merciful hand of God even in the story of Adam and Eve and how much redemption came their way.
What a reach came their way. The result of Adam and Eve's transgression is that they lost contact with God. They were driven from the garden, a flaming sword to prevent their re-entry. Now they were facing many hardships that before this they had not known. They themselves would be the epitome of physical labor in bringing food from the ground and bringing children into the world. They encountered new threats all around them, but perhaps, but perhaps the most difficult judgment was that they would no longer have this close communion with God like they once had. Because prior to their sin, you see, no sacrifice was required to be in the presence of God, but it was required from that point forward. Today, we've just walked into the presence of the Lord. (laughs) What a great gift repentance is. I'm gonna ask you to stand, if you will. I think repentance... truly requires a measure of honesty. We just have to be real in the presence of the Lord. Is it all right? To be real. Pat Morris Neff was the 28th governor of Texas. He served from 1921 to 1925. Somewhere in those few years of his uh, governorship, He visited one of the penitentiaries in Texas. He was there as a speaker and he spoke to these inmates who had assembled. But when he finished speaking, to everyone's surprise, he said he was going to remain behind and that if any man in that room wanted to talk with him, that he would gladly listen. And then he went on to say, Not only would I listen to you, but I'm going to listen to you in confidence. And nothing you tell me will be shared or it's not going to be held against you. So when the meeting was over, a large group of men remained and most of them were serving life sentences. One by one, they passed. Each each man telling the governor that, that they were only there because they had been framed or it was an injustice, or they're there only because of some judicial blunder, and all of those things are possible, we understand. But despite all of this, each man was asking for their freedom. Finally, one man came up and said, Mr. Governor, I just want to tell you that I did what they accused me of, but I believe that I have paid the price. I also believe if I were granted the right to walk out of this prison that I would do everything within my power to be a good citizen and to prove myself worthy of your mercy. It was this man that was pardoned by the governor and it was was his spirit and attitude and we come before the Lord. Yes, Lord, it was me. I did it, Lord, but I need your help. I need your help to overcome. You see, we can't play games with God and we should never take advantage of the gift of repentance. Can we lift our hands and our voices together? 
Amen. Let's just magnify the Lord in this house today. What a privilege to be here. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.